0: Good morning, welcome to our first household conference. This is a big step for us. We've never done a conference before, kind of a mini conference, little half-day thing. Hi. We love having kids here with us today. And in fact, this session is designed for all of us. It's designed for the whole family. So this session, as Cody mentioned earlier, our first session together is gonna be around the design that God has for families and for households. So the question is, why are we talking about this? Um, Well, I think that we are creatures who pick things up, right? We can take in a lot of information and things like that, but the most reliable way that we are formed is by the things around us and the people around us. And so, because of that, we tend to think that what God's designed for families is, is whatever's around us. We tend to think it's whatever we saw growing up in our house, and maybe that was really good. Some of us have been blessed with godly parents. Some of us have had no examples whatsoever. Some of us have had incredibly ungodly parents and ungodly families to look up to. And so the problem is, is that we're creatures who just kind of pick things up by nature. And so it's very likely that all of us is off somewhere on this topic. It's very likely that all of us have something wrong with the way that we think that God is designed for families and households to work. So maybe we think that God's design looks like what we saw, or maybe it's the opposite, and we just hate what we saw growing up, and so we just think that what God's design is is the opposite of that. You know, there's families with abusive mothers and fathers in all different ways. And so you think, okay, well, it's just the opposite of that. And so we we tend to miss some of the corrective things that are there or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, there can be overreactions in in both directions. So the good news though, when it comes to design, is that despite what we may think, God has been gracious to us and he has given us a book, (laughs) right? We have a Bible that tells us what we're supposed to do. And we're not going to be covering every aspect this weekend or today or in my session, surely, of what a household looks like or what a family is supposed to look like. Today is meant to be kind of a crash course for us as a church and anybody else who wants to partake in this with us. Um, And so because of that, we're going to mostly be looking in one passage today. Uh, and we're going to see what it says explicitly and also some of the things that it implies about God's design for our homes. So our passage today is Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. So if you got your Bibles with you, um, then go ahead and open up there. If you don't, we do have Bibles in the pew backs there that you are free to use. You can also look it up on phones or something like that. It's not going to be on the screens today, but our passage is Ephesians 5, 6, or through 6, 4. So go ahead and start looking that up. This is going to be our home base for understanding the household unit today. We're going to be talking about three different things in the household unit today. So if you're taking notes, these are the three different things. This is probably the most clear time that you're going to hear that. And then I'm going to lose it as I'm going through my outline. So just try and bucket things appropriately as you can. We're going to be talking about who is in the household or who's in the house, JC, if you like, Carmen, from back in the day, 90s kids. Um, We're going to talking about why the distinctions are important and what those things are, right? And then the third one, because it has to alliterate, we're going to talk about the woes that go along with those different roles, okay? Uh, So woes being the different pitfalls that we might fall into for each of those specific people or categories. So um what we're gonna do right now, I'm gonna read this passage, and then we have a little exercise to do. Already it's different than Sunday morning, right? Okay, so we're going to Ephesians five twenty-two through six four. Everybody ready for this? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right. So we're going to do a little exercise here. I want you right now for the next 2 minutes or so take take the next 2 minutes or so to look over this passage with your family or by yourself if you're by yourself. Um, or maybe just with the family next to you. That's fine, too. Um, And I want you to answer the question, who is this passage talking about? So try and and figure out who is this passage talking about and who it's written to. Um, One of you kiddos, not from over here, because Elizabeth was cheating. She heard me talking to my family. She's like, that's the guy with the notes. I'm going to get it right not Alistair either. All right. Uh, One of you kiddos, who are some of the people that are talked about? Somebody raise your hand. Yeah? You can get help from mom and dad if you need. good? I saw a hand. Anybody else? Anybody else want to try and give it a shot? All right. We're going to be doing a decent amount of this today, so I'm going to need people to be brave, okay? All right. <laughs> I know that this is not a Sunday morning. It's different, right? So um, there's going to be some, some question and answer and things like that. Times where we're coming to... Oh, okay. Yeah, Roman, what's up? Yeah, it talks about kids honoring their mothers and fathers. That's right. So, And that actually kind of encapsulates the three different categories of people that we're talking about today. Um, So we started not too terribly hard. We've got men in this passage. We have women. We have children. And one of my kids and my wife so very clearly pointed out, that this passage is also talking about Christ in the church, but we're going to get to that. Um, But the main categories we're talking about, who this is being addressed to is men, women, and kids, specifically men as husbands and fathers, women as wives and mothers, and then children as part of that family as well. So we have these three main categories of people. And there are more ways that Scripture talks about households, so don't don't think this is this is exclusively it. So an example would be uh, Abraham in the Old Testament. He musters hundreds of men from his household to rescue his nephew Lot. So the biblical concept of household is bigger than this, but it's not less than this. And so we have to get these basics down. So for our purposes today, we are talking about households as our immediate families. Um, Because we got to get that down before we can go any farther. So uh, we're talking about the family unit in our passage. Our passage talks about how they actually relate to one another. So we already talked about this. We have husbands that are men. We have wives that are women, children, and boys. And what really are, or, or, or children, boys and girls, rather, what really are boys and girls, if you think about it? Ideas? little men and little women. That's right. They are the future men and future women, ideally of the church, is our our hope and our prayer, right? We talk about fathers and mothers, and they're going to be those one day too. Um, But what does our passage say about each of these categories? Well, if you look closely, it talks about some roles and responsibilities that each of them have. So let's go in the order that the verses introduce them. So the very first thing is wives or women. And roles and responsibilities they have are submission and respect. And then it talks about men and husbands. And the men as husbands, their primary responsibility talked about here as husbands is to love their wives. And then it goes into boys and girls, the children, their primary roles and responsibilities are to obey their parents, to honor their father and mother. I won't move too fast because it's people taking notes. And then finally, it addresses men as fathers with the duty to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? So it's very clear in this passage some of the roles and responsibilities that we have. Now, we haven't gone much deeper than the surface reading of the text yet, and that's actually on purpose. I want us to first understand the plain reading of the text and realize that Paul means what he says, okay? He's not calling us to some sort of culturally specific version of what he's saying in this passage. The plain meaning of this passage is accurate, okay? That might be a little tough for us. So he's calling wives to submit and respect. He's calling men to love wives and discipline and instruct their children. And he's calling children to obey and honor their parents. That's the simple understanding. And we need to be really, really comfortable with these truths as we continue on through this day, okay? Um, Note here that these are not suggestions from Paul. They are commands in Scripture. He's not saying, hey, this is something you ought to be, or "Maybe, maybe if things don't work out when you're trying it your way, then then try it this way and it might be better. He's saying, no, this is what you are to do, okay? These are commands from God's word. So we're gonna take another little exercise here, okay? Before we go any farther, I want us to take a moment, each household here, and I want us to commit together in prayer to submit to scripture on these points today as we go through. So with your family, take about a minute or so let's just take some time to pray and say, God, I know that these might be uncomfortable for me, but I am committing to submitting to your word as we go through it today. Okay? So let's take a minute and let's do that together with our families. All right. So we've established here now, as we've talked through this first little section, just kind of broken the passage down very basically we've established the who question, right? We said that it's going to be broken into who, why, and woes, right? So that was our who section. We're just getting a general outline of who is in the household, what they do, that sort of thing. Um, it's a very basic sketch of our duties. Um, that And it's just what's explicit here in this text. But you might be asking, okay, well, what, what does that look like? What... What does that mean, and maybe even more importantly, why is it that way? Right? We come to the we come to things like this, and maybe it bucks up against some of our feelings or something like that, and we go, "Why is it like that?" Right? And so that's our next section. We're going to talk about the why, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today discussing this passage, Uh, and we're going to be looking to some other scriptures as well, but we're still going to be mainly in this passage. So. Here we're going to attempt to actually answer that why question. So let's look at the why from the text. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything uh, to their husbands. So, this part talks about submission, and this is never fun to think about, Um, but it's there, okay? It says that submission happens between, or submission happens from a wife to a husband, right? A wife submits to a husband because he is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, okay? And this is already challenging because. This denotes a hierarchy within the home where the husband is the head, and this is challenging for a couple of different reasons, I think. One is, is that whether we realize it or not, there's kind of an undergirding idea that just kind of permeates our culture, and it's called feminism. It's been around for a while. I don't know if you guys know that. Um... But our gut reaction, because of the culture that we have grown up in, right, I talked about you just kind of like take on things and it becomes your idea of what design is supposed to be. Our gut reaction is kind of gross to the idea of submission, right? And that's because our world is generally oriented backwards to this, right? So there are some common reactions that we have when we read this pretty clear passage, one is, is that we look at the verse just before it, where it talks about how we're all submitting to one another um, in reverence or out of reverence for Christ. And the idea is, as we go, well, this must be about mutual submission. Marriage is about mutual submission all the time. There's really no head when you think about it. But that doesn't really work. And here's why. Here's why in this passage. Because Christ doesn't submit himself to the church, right? Right? The church submits himself to Christ, and that's the image that is given for what this looks like. So if we say that, well, it's a mutual submission thing, then that actually breaks the image-bearing nature of the relationship of marriage. So that's one common reaction is to say, well, this is about mutual submission. There's no real head, but that doesn't work. Another one is to say, well, this is outdated, and Paul is just kind of sexist because this is the first century, right? But what does that deny? It denies the nature of Scripture as inspired without error and God-breathed, okay? If God's Word becomes outdated, we are in serious trouble. Then, then we have nothing to stand on, right? Another common reaction that we have is we the idea that well uh, we make decisions together, but maybe the husband he's just he's just the tiebreaker is how that works. But again, we keep looking back to Christ in the church that doesn't match the way that Christ is head of the church, which is the image we are given. It's not a thing where Christ is the tiebreaker; he's the leader. He's the one who gives us the mission, and that's the mission we follow. Right? Another reaction that we can fall into, and I. I understand this one, is this feels demeaning to women, right? But here's a key thing that I think we really have to understand about submission as we look through Scripture. Submission does not mean sub-value, okay? It's not that the value is decreased by the person who submits. And here's, here's the clearest picture from our passage. I'm trying to stay right here for us for now, okay? Does the church lose value when it submits to Christ? You can answer, no. What happens to the church when it submits to Christ? It gains value, right? When we submit to Christ, the value that we have goes up because we are partaking in that unity with him, right? And so that being the picture, we cannot make the claim that submission means that value is diminished. In fact, the very picture that's given means that the value is increased, in a submission, right? So this passage is pretty clear. It just is difficult, right? (laughs) Um, And I think this is maybe one of the most challenging parts of this passage to our modern ears, our modern minds, our modern hearts, our modern sentiments. It's just really difficult. And it's because the old saying of the fish doesn't know that water is wet or that he's swimming in water or however that one goes, right? Like you don't, understand until it's pointed out to you that this is the water that you swim in, and the water that we swim in is backwards from Scripture. So we're going to keep moving on here, okay? Um, We're going to jump straight to uh, husbands here in 525 through 30. Um, I'm not going to read all the way through this because I'm realizing that I'm taking more time than I should. So, Uh, But you have it right there, in front of you, when it talks about husbands, it talks about loving wives by leading them. It says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. The challenges here for us men is, this is difficult, okay? We have the job that the perfect guy does, right? And we're not perfect, are we, men? (laughs) It's tough. It's it's also self-sacrificial, It says, he gave himself up for her. Okay, that's a difficult job. And then finally, it's sanctifying. It says, having cleansed, that he might present her to himself without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish, right? That's difficult work. Sanctification is hard, right? Anybody ever had to be sanctified on something? Yes, come on, this is where you say amen yes exactly okay it's not easy work um now i want to be really clear men cannot provide their wives with salvation or sanctification we can't do that on our own that's not what's actually being asked or said here but here's what is being said we are to ensure that it is being done okay it is our job It's our job to lead our families. It's our job to make sure it's being done because Christ does it with his church. So some common reactions we might have here is one that I call servant leadership as a doormat, okay? The example comes in phrases like happy wife, happy life, right? The idea that, well, I'm the leader, but what that really means is I just keep my wife happy and that makes my life easier and so I don't have to... I don't have to press on anything, right? It's just happy wife, happy life. Another phrase that is common, a common example of this servant leadership as a doormat is, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but he's the head, but she's the neck, right? He's the head of the house, but she's the neck. And so she's actually the one who is pointing the family where it's supposed to go. It's another common way that uh, servant leadership as a doormat happens. Another one that... uh, is a little bit more common with some folks who are really trying to wrestle with these ideas is they might be tempted to think, okay, well, I agree with the structure, but if he was a good enough leader, then she will follow. That's, that's gonna happen, right? Um, which kind of denies the idea that, well, our wives can actually be sinful people too. It does happen, believe it or not. Not my wife, though, right? No. Um, We all are. So this, this idea, it actually guts the reality of that leadership and that headship. In verse 23, it says the husband is the head. Okay, this is an indicative, not an imperative. That means Paul isn't saying, husbands, you need to be the head. He's saying, husbands, you are the head. The husband is sacrificial in his pursuit of persanctification, righteousness of the bride. Um, It's not simply about making her happy or giving her what she wants. It's about making her holy, right? And that's very difficult work. So another common reaction that we hear is, well, Christ is perfect and I'm not. So what is the use of even trying, right? But the problem is, is this is a very passive response, And again, it rejects that indicative nature of the statement that the husband is the head, okay? And this is where it gets tricky, okay? You will lead your house, men. It's not about whether or not you're going to lead it. It's how you will lead it, okay? And if you think you're choosing not to lead your house, what you're actually doing is you're leading it into ruin. Because God gave you that job. You are leading your house. You're either leading it into godliness or ruin. That's how it works. It's indicative, not telling you what you should do. It's what you do. Okay? So another common reaction is the idea that, well, I'm the head, so everybody in my house just has to deal with it. Right? Which completely neglects the loving nature of Christ and the church, right? He is patient and he is loving with us. He is washing us with the word. We see that tender, loving characteristic even in these passages that Christ is not a domineering leader of us, but he does lead, okay? And that is a hard balance to walk sometimes as a man, but we must do it, brothers. So, we have looked at some of the wives section. We've looked at some of the parts that husbands play. But what's at the core of all of that? It's been hinted all along in this Christ and the church talk, but Paul outlines it explicitly in verses 33 through thir- or 31 through 33 of chapter 5. The husband and wife relationship images the Christ church relationship. Okay? And I want you to think about this carefully because we can tend to switch this around. And it's not the other way around. God didn't use marriage to say that Christ and the church are kind of like that. He said that marriage is like Christ and the church. Christ and the church is the greater marriage. It's the greater union that our marriages are supposed to point to. And he actually quotes Genesis 2.24 here. And the idea is, is that reality is not just arbitrary. It's not like God just said, okay, well, I'm going to use this thing. No, he wove it into the fabric of creation from the beginning. It's part of our biblical anthropology, how man is made, okay? That's built in. So this is the ultimate purpose of marriage, that it images the true marriage not just in its union, but in its sanctifying nature, okay? And then here in verse 33, he tells husbands to love wives, and he tells wives to respect their husbands. And let me just be really clear. This is what both of those groups crave. Paul's not dumb. He's telling us what we need to hear. (laughs) Men, you need to love your wives. Women, you got to respect your husbands, It's what both are craving. And if you can learn to do that, even when the other one's not lovely or the other one's not respectable, your marriage is going to change. It's just going to change, okay? Um, And so he kind of sums up this whole passage in those two phrases. Love your wives, respect your husbands. This is what it looks like. So we're going to take a little jaunt here now into something a little bit deeper that's rooted or related, okay? Okay. So not unrelated to this is the importance of marriage as a part of human nature and God's mandate for man in the world. So we're going to talk a little bit about the creation mandate and how that relates to the Great Commission as a fruitful endeavor. Okay, So in the, in the creation mandate, in Genesis 1, through 31 God made, mandated man to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion in the earth, and to fill the earth. So God mandated man to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion and fill the earth. Godly dominion is when we are properly imaging God in his creation, okay? Man wasn't fit to do this task alone. So in Genesis 2, we see that he needed a helper to the task, What's the primary thing there? What's the the main reason why man cannot do this alone? It's pretty simple, okay? That's right. That's right. He can't multiply by himself, can he? She was meant to help him in his task, okay? God gave man, gave woman to man in order to help him in the end of glorifying God by taking godly dominion throughout the world and She's made for that task, and she's so uniquely made for that task that when she does it well, it's wonderful, and when she does it poorly, it's destructive. Proverbs 14.1 says that a wise woman is one who builds her house, and the lady folly tears it down with her own hands, Right, and that can happen in our homes um, when, when wives don't desire to actually help in the godly endeavor of what God has called men to do in the earth. So these things are fundamental to our created natures as men and women, that, that men are to lead and that wives are meant to help in that pursuit of godliness and dominion in the world. So the more that we lean into those things, the more we are living within God's design for us. It goes all the way back to creation. So let's talk about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is fruitful Okay, that multiplying mandate actually relates directly to Christ and the church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you look at it, it says that Christ has all authority, right? He is the head. He is the leader. His mission for us is to make disciples. That's a fruitful work of multiplication. And we're to make disciples of all the nations. That's that earth-filling, dominion-taking peace baptizing them. Again, that relates to that fruitful multiplication, teaching to observe his commands. That's that subduing and that dominion piece, right? And then he says, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And here we see the covenant commitment between husband and wife to the very end, right? So Christ's head calls his church to submit to him in this work, And we join him in his task of building his church, subduing the earth for his glory and his household. Do you see the importance? Do you see why and how important it is to get the leadership and submission piece right? Okay, here's the main thing that I want you to take away from this little section here. Okay, if you're taking notes, I don't know exactly where this fits in, but it's a good thing to carry with you. The gospel doesn't destroy our nature. It redeems it. So the gospel does not destroy nature. It redeems it. It doesn't change the nature of husband and wife. It makes getting it right so much more important because Scripture says, do you want to know what Christ is like? Do you want to know what the church is like? Then look at the very nature of man and woman and how I knit them together from the beginning. It's a wonder. And it's a glory, okay? It's, it's vitally important for us to get this right, okay? So, and all of that means as well that, that marriage is meant to be fruitful also, okay? The natural fruit of marriage are children. Marriage without children when possible, okay? Let's make sure that's clear when possible. Marriage without children when possible is like a church with no gospel proclamation. There's no multiplication, no attempt. It bears the image of a fruitless gospel, a dead vine. And we know this because how does Scripture see our children? Well, Psalm 127, 4 through 5, tells us that our children are a heritage. They're not a burden. Okay, the idea that I'm not having kids because it's a burden and it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult, right? Right? That's not how how Scripture sees it. Scripture sees children as a blessing. Okay? Um, Let me get back to my spot. It says, children are like arrows to be released into history for the work of the gospel. Okay, they have a purpose. Not just, hey, I want to give you a good childhood. It's, you are future men, you are future women. We are preparing you for gospel proclamation. Okay? And it says, blessed is the man who has many, okay? Children are a sign of honor. So here's what I want you kids to hear, okay? Kids, this is, this is you. I know we've been like real deep into technical stuff, but this is where, kids, this one's for you, okay? You have a whole section all to you, all to yourselves, okay? This is what I want you to hear first and foremost. You are important, okay? We want you to know that here at our church. You are important to us, God said you're important, and we believe it. Okay, Moms and dads, they're not training you just to be kiddos. We're training you to be men and women who are going to be kingdom builders for Christ. Do you understand that? That's exciting, right? That's not boring. That's cool. That's a big adventure. Okay. And what we need you to hear is, we're going to be gone one day and you have to carry on the work and that's what we're trying to do okay it's not because we don't want you to have fun or anything like that we're actually trying to help you grow to be godly men and women who are going to carry on the work when we're gone okay it's a it's a hefty task so because of that i want you to listen in this next piece of our passage is really important ephesians 6 1 through 3, and I am going to read it for you all, okay? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, we're going to stop there for right now. All right, this is the hard one. Children, you guys are called to obey your parents. You know why? Anybody? Any guesses? Why are you called to obey your parents? Oh, Roman with the hand, quick. Okay, yeah, that's, that's one of the promises, right? Okay, it says it right here. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Listen, for this is right. Aren't you kiddos glad that you get the easy one? It's the easy task, right? No, I know that it's not easy to do, kiddos, but it is easy to understand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the easiest one in here to understand. Okay? God says that you need to obey mom and dad. That's what it says. And you might ask why. What do mom and dad say sometimes when you ask why in your house? What do they say? Because I'm mom, I hear. What else? Because I said so, Right? That's right. Sometimes that's what we say, isn't it? Okay. Okay. Well, this time, I want you to hear really clearly in this passage this time it's God who says, I said so. Okay. He says, it's right. You should obey your parents because it is right. And this is, you need to answer this one out loud for me, okay? Is God ever wrong? No, he's not. So if he says it's right, then that's what we got to do, right? Okay, but here's what I want you to hear. And Roman already pointed this out. This one comes with a promise too, okay? Paul quotes the fifth commandment. Who knows the fifth commandment? Anybody? Alistair, you got it? What is it? You got, you got it close enough. Sherwood, you, you got a hand up too? Oh, she's going King James Version. That's that CC, that's that CC coming out. <laughs> got some thighs in there. Okay, yeah, he quotes the fifth commandment. And the fifth commandment very simply is this, honor your father and your mother. And if you do that, it will go well with you that you may live long in the land there's a promise associated with that, kiddos. So if God, if God says it's right, then we got to do it, right? But we serve a really good God. And he says, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to leave you hanging. There's a promise with this one too. So you guys get the easy one to understand and you guys get the one with the promise. So you're pretty lucky, Right? All the kids say, I'm really lucky. I get to obey my parents. Come on. Come on. There we go. I like it. Good. Okay. So we've talked at length about the why here in this passage. Now we're going to talk about some of the woes. Okay. Those are some of the downfalls, some of the pitfalls that we run into as each of those categories, right? As husbands, as fathers, as mothers, as wives, as children. Here's some of the downfalls that we can run into, the woes. Now, the very observant of you will notice that we've not talked about the very last verse yet, right? And that's just because I don't really like it, you know, as as a dad. You know, I I don't really like it, so I'm just going to push that one away, right? No, no, that's not it at all. So I want to do an exercise again. Okay, I want everybody with their families to read through the last verse together, and I want you to try and figure out what might be a common sin that dads fall into, okay? So read that one together, and let's try and figure that out. We'll come back together, we'll hear some answers, and we'll talk about it, okay? A lot of discussion on that one, huh? Dad's really getting raked over the coals here. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Who wants to give it a shot? Okay. We talked about what is a what might be a common sin that dads can fall into according to this passage. I'm not gonna go with my kids because they're gonna they're gonna tell everybody. They're gonna tell me. All right. I'm gonna go with Lillian because we already went over here earlier today. Okay. Yeah. Being grumpy in the morning. Okay. Yeah. That that certainly could be. Um. some, uh, yes, a catalyst. Thank you, Diana. Yep. Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Over here. Okay. Making somebody feel small. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anybody else? Caden? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, there are a lot of different things that you could have, have gone with here. They're all kind of in the same uh, general sphere of the same sort of sin, right? Another term that some other versions use is exasperate. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, okay? Um, the ESV says fathers do not provoke your children to anger, okay? Um, so dads, particularly difficult when it comes to discipline, our job is not to get our kids, right? It is not to show them who's boss. It's not to make them feel small. It is to discipline and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, okay? Now, does this mean that if a kid gets angry that dad has failed? No, right? Because believe it or not, kids, I know that I just talked to you, but you're sinful too. Okay, sometimes you get angry and it's completely unjustified. I would, go, I would venture to say that many times you get angry and it's completely unjustified. But uh, us as dads, it's not our job to try and get you there, right? Our goal is not to make you angry or make you feel bad about what you've done, though sometimes that's involved. Our goal is to win you over to Christ, right? To disciple you, make you more like him, Okay. It means that a father's discipline should not be such that he is provoking that reaction in children. It might happen, but we're not to be provoking that. That's not our goal, okay? Um, Men, it's the bent in our sin nature to berate our children so that instead of desiring to be obedient to us, their response is going to be anger towards us that's how we're wired, okay? It is our natural bent to want to do that, okay? Kids, this does not mean that you get a free pass not to obey dad when he messes up here, right? Okay, we still got to obey. As long as dad's not calling you to sin, we still got to obey. God's put him there for that reason. So that one was pretty easy in some ways because it was really spot on. Again, very Clear what the thing is, very difficult in doing it. Um, But Paul's really explicit in the text. So now we're going to take a look quickly at what I'm calling the woes of each of the members of the household. There are two ways that we can spot them here in this passage. One, just like with dads, Paul directly calls them out. Okay, he says, Don't provoke your children to anger. That's going to be the thing you're tempted to do. Um, The other way, that we can find what might be a difficult thing for each of these people is that Paul is actually encouraging you to do the opposite, okay? So we already looked at one where Paul calls it out directly with fathers. So let's look at the children as an example of Paul encouraging the opposite here. So verse 6-1 says what? Children, obey your parents. Paul is encouraging you to obey your parents. That means that kids you're going to desire to do the opposite. Can you believe it? Can you believe that your desire is to not obey mom and dad? But he's telling you to obey them because he knows you're going to want to disobey instead, right? So he's telling you the opposite, okay? And that's how all of these woes work. So let's look at each of the groups, starting with the kids. Um, let's do this as an exercise. As a family, look over the whole passage one more time, so just read it together, um, and try and use these two principles, right? The he's either calling it out explicitly, or he's calling you to do the opposite. And try and think through what woes might be addressed in this passage. Okay, let's do that together. Let's take mm, let's take two minutes. All right. I hear people talking still. That's all right. You could stop where you're at. Um, I recognize you may not have gotten all the way through that. That's totally fine. I just wanted us to get practicing looking for these kinds of things in Scripture. So real quickly, I'm going to run through the different potential pitfalls that we run into. So kids, some of the things that this passage says that we're going to be, you're going to struggle with is, you're going to be tempted to disobey your parents, right? You're going to be tempted to disobey your parents. I'm going to fix those words because my gospel community will get me for mispronouncing things. <laughs> it's good. It's healthy. Um, kids, you're going to be tempted to dishonor your fathers and your mothers, right? Um, Here's the deal. You have a pretty short list in this passage, but it doesn't mean it's an easy list, right? Because parents aren't perfect, and it can be really tough to obey them. But God gave you to them and designed you to obey and honor them. So um, parents, real fast, I'll just give a, a quick side story here. Um, I read in a book one time. Uh, it's called "Standing on the Promises" by Doug Wilson, and it was it really convicted me as an adult. Um, specifically, um, really challenged on how do I, as a father, lead in a home and seek to help my children to do these things well. One of the things that he says is the first step in teaching your children to honor your father and their father and mother may be doing the work of properly honoring your father and mother, okay? And one of the things that he suggested was when you were a kid, you know the things you did. You know the things that uh, you didn't confess to your parents. You know the things that um, maybe you kept hidden, and that didn't honor them, right? And so maybe a first step in getting things set right in your own home is to set things right with your own parents, so I, a few years ago now, I think, um, had to swallow my pride. And I called up my own parents and I said, Mom and Dad, I want to talk to you about some things. And I confessed some things to them that they had no idea about, right? Um, and it was hard. It was hard. It, it broke their, um, their perception of who I was at certain times in my life, but it was necessary. Because I want to honor my parents, I want to be an example to my children about what it looks like to honor my parents so that they know what it looks like to honor their parents and so just as a as a practical thing you can take home if that 's something that needs to happen, I encourage it it 's hard okay i 'm not saying it 's not saying it is easy, but it might be a necessary step if you 're finding man i 'm doing all these things, but like just getting nowhere in my home maybe there 's some some things to deal with there too so Okay, uh, men, you're going to be tempted to not love your wives sacrificially. Um, it says that Christ was selfless and that he gave himself up for, for the church. Uh, you're going to be tempted to not be willing to do the work of sanctification with your wife. Christ uh, calls us to wash our wives with the word, right? We have to actually press in on things, and that's difficult. We don't want to do that. It's that happy wife, happy life thing, right? Um we're going to be tempted to provoke our children to anger, right, to, to lead in a domineering way. We're going to be tempted, um, and we've been hitting this for the past year here at church, you're going to be tempted to not discipline or instruct your children, right? That's one of the reasons why we hit family worship all the time here is because we think that is a primary vehicle that God has given to us in our homes to do that, right? You're going to be tempted not to. Why is family worship hard to do? Because you're a man, right? That's why it's tough to do. Because it's going to be tough to do, but we're supposed to do it, okay? Uh, Women, you're going to be tempted to usurp your husband, right? He calls you to submit because you're going to want to not to. You're not going to want to. You're going to want to not to. There. Fun stuff. All right. Uh, Women, you're also going to be tempted to disrespect your husband, okay? That's a hard one, especially when we are not respectable, and many times we're not. Okay, but God calls you to regardless. He doesn't say respect him only if. He says treat your husband with respect. That's, that's what I've designed you to do, okay? Um, each of these areas are called out explicitly in this chapter, and they are relating back to a couple of things, and this is where we're going to end things today, okay? The way that we do these things directly affects our ability to image the Christ-church relationship and its fruit, okay, and our ability to, to fulfill our redeemed natural purposes. How we handle these things is going to affect our ability to image the Christ church relationship and its fruit and our ability to fill our redeemed natural purposes. Why is it so hard though? Is this to be expected that it's difficult? Yes. Genesis 3 has a curse. Man sins. And it says that man is going to toil for food, that women or woman will desire to usurp her husband, that man will wield that position over his house and his wife in a domineering fashion. And it follows that the fruit of these defective unions, the children, the little men and the little woman would follow suit in rebellion and disobey and dishonor their parents, right? We should expect that this is going to be difficult. It is part of the curse. It's all wrapped up together. You have to understand, marriage, family, the church, and Christ, it is all wrapped up together. You can't separate it. But even in the difficulty, even in the curse, we have hope. We have hope in the gospel. The gospel redeems our sinful hearts and conforms us to Christ. Man, we talked about how we have the job of the perfect guy, and that's really difficult. Well, that's true, but we are being conformed into his image, so we can actually be obedient here, okay? We have hope there, and the same is true for women. Just as, uh, just as Christ was perfectly submissive to the Father's will and going to the cross, um, so can you submit to your husbands, right? Um, and it's vitally important. It's vitally important, okay? Beyond that, we have hope to do good works. We have a reason to believe that this will actually work, okay? That all sounds good. You can keep it in the realm of ideas, but we actually have reason to believe that these things are going to work, and I'm slightly over time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go quick here, okay? We are called in Scripture to do these things as though it is possible to do these things, We don't have to continue sinning in the same ways over and over and over in our lives. Uh, This is evidence that the gospel does allow us to obey when when we choose to do the right thing. So in Ephesians 2, uh, this is the same book we are in right now, okay? Ephesians 2, where we're being called called to do these really difficult things. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. This is really key. That we should walk in them. Okay? It is expected that we can do it by the power of the gospel, by the power of Christ's work in us in the Holy Spirit. We can do it. We are created new in Christ Jesus to do good works. And later in this book, in the passage that we have gone through today, Paul lays out some of those good works for our households, So take hope that by the power of his spirit, God has prepared these things beforehand for us to walk in them.